0: But uh, Brent asked me to, uh, to walk us through this text today, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it my best shot, uh, but I'm going to pray before we get into it. So please bow your heads with me. Father, we are so incredibly incapable of doing anything without your help, especially when it comes to opening your word understanding the things that we see inside and, and and delivering them to your people for their edification God we are just tools in your hand and I pray that you will help as we dive into this text tonight to to humble all of us God that everyone in here will be humbled the way I've been humbled and studying it Lord that that you will grow us and mature us from from a a, a infantile faith, God, to a strong faith capable of digesting the deep truths of your word. But I can't do it without you. So Lord, please don't let me get in the way of your perfect word. God, may you minimize all of me up here and maximize all of you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1. But I, brothers, So before we take a, a deep dive into the complex relationship uh, between the flesh and the spirit and the sins of the Corinthians regarding their spiritual maturity, Paul makes sure to take care to call them brothers. Uh, because what he's going to say is about to sting uh, how many of you know when you're about to have a hard conversation? Sometimes it helps to preface with just a little bit of "Hey, I love you, but what, what's what's coming? It's gonna it's gonna hit hard." Uh, Paul wants to remind them. Right? We've got to we've got to be reminded too. Uh, that, that God's plan for uh, redeeming Himself a people is important for us to remember. That God's God's goal is a family, uh, a family that is eternally holy and eternally Christ like. That was his original purpose in Eden. It's still his purpose today. We are all a part of that plan, no matter how heinous of the sins in our lives. Uh, Paul wants the Corinthians to feel the weight of conviction but not so much that it discourages them. And we need to approach the text in the same way because we are brothers. We are part of the same family as Paul. uh, And we wanna be convicted, but if we're finding conviction so much that it discourages us, then we're forgetting the beauty of Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So we should find in this text today both warning and hope. So he says, but I, brothers... Could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Oof, yeah, come on. That hurts. Anybody in here manage people for work? A lot. We've got a lot of managers in here. You know what it's like to have to talk to a grown adult like they're a child. It's terrible. It's not an enjoyable thing to do. Uh, we never start there or you're a terrible boss. Uh, but uh, it's sometimes we are forced to have to speak to somebody and, and really bring it very, very low to say, listen, I, you're not getting this. Uh, this is uncomfortable for me, but I've gotta talk to you like a child. And it's not pleasant. It's not funny to talk to an adult like a child. It's sad. Uh, but it's not sad because we hate talking to children because talking to kids is fun, right? We love children here at Four Points. Don't y'all love infants? I love infants. Toddlers are adorable They've got, it's a perfect name for them. Toddlers, this is just, it, and in cab, they toddle. It's what they do, right? They're, they're adorable, and it's cute when they ruin things and when they fail at things. I'm experiencing this right now. Uh, I just got a new nephew. He's two and a half months old, and he is adorable and terrible at everything, uh, which is cute for now. Every time he wants to eat, he cries, and every time he cries, it's sweet. We're like, oh, He's so sweet. But if he's doing it in 10 years, crying every time he's hungry, no one's gonna find it cute. No one's gonna find it adorable. It's gonna be annoying and exhausting. Right? Paul's looking, he's like, look, uh, brothers, what happened to you? we got to remember, these aren't new believers. Paul, was with, Paul himself was with the Corinthian church for 18 months. Then they got Apollos, who we've been talking about the past few weeks. We see in Scripture, Apollos was one of the greatest preachers of his day, if not of all time. Uh, it seems in Scripture that he was easier to listen to than even Paul. I mean, we know for sure from Acts 20 that Paul bored at least one guy to death. He fell asleep while Paul was preaching and fell out of a window and died uh, because Paul was long. It happened. Acts 20, right? Eutychus, solid gold. I love that story. Um, He raised him back from the dead. Praise God. Um, But, you know, not one time in Scripture does it tell us that Apollos killed somebody by preaching. So that's a, he's already doing better than Paul. It's a good thing. Uh, So the Corinthians, they had a year and a half of Paul. Then they had like five years of Apollos when when, uh, Paul is writing this letter to them. And, And Paul's asking, he's like, how in all of this time, at least five to six years, I'm writing to you, how have you guys not grown spiritually in all of this time? See, Paul confronts them and tells them, look, you guys look like infants in Christ." it's a tricky thing, this this immaturity, this spiritual immaturity, because we see it in the world today as well. Uh, If you ask most people who come to Four Points, this was my experience. It's been the experience of most of the people that I talk to. If you ask people that attend Four Points why they stayed after their first visit, like 90% of the time, the majority of people respond with the same statement. I've been to church before. I just didn't know what I was missing. I didn't know you could just open the Bible and walk through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. I thought it'd make me fall asleep every week and die. But no, right? it's a beautiful thing to, to digest heavy, intense theological truths in Scripture. But so many people in Georgia, so many people in Ackworth, live on spiritual milk from moralistic, therapeutic churches. Uh, and they do it like there's no alternative because people just don't know, right? People are churched, sure. We're the most, the, the Southeast, we're like the most church population in the whole world. But we're not fed. So many churches don't feed people. I've watched, If I'll tell you one thing that can be really beneficial. If you ever get tired of four points, uh, which like, imagine that, right? Uh, but if you ever do, Get on YouTube. Everyone live streams now. Listen to some of the stuff. And praise God, there are some awesome churches in our area that preach out of the Bible. And they believe, like we do, that what God says is more important than what we think. But look at some of the bigger churches around us. Listen to their sermons and see what's said. It's discouraging. Uh, I've watched some of these sermons. They're milk. It's like watching somebody eat chicken wings. And they just take one little nibble and throw it on the trash pile. You're like, there's still meat on there. It triggers you. What are you doing? You know? Like, we're going to be in Romans 8 for the next 15 minutes, and then we're going to go through the next three chapters of Romans 8. You can't. It's not possible. You can't do it. Now, Walt, look, and it's not like these people aren't genuinely saved. They are. Paul calls them brothers after all. But a believer that's only sustained by milk falls into spiritual sluggishness. And that's what we're going to explore today. That's why the church in Corinth has all these sin issues. They hear what God saying. They've got two of the best preachers of all time in this church. And they hear... I mean, they get to hear directly from Paul and then Apollos. And still, they forget it immediately. It reminds me of James chapter 1. When James talks about what it is to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. In verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I was a forgetful Christian for the first seven years of my life. And praise Jesus, he saved me. I was dead before that and he brought me to life. But oh my God. Goodness, was my sanctification slow in those early days. It was a huge bump as I got saved, and then I just plateaued for years and years and years, and I didn't know why. I just thought, honestly, I thought once you became a Christian, you were just good. I'm like, all right, this is as good as I get. And you know what's crazy is I actually thought I was pretty good. The better I become, the worse I realize I am, right? That's the beauty of the gospel. And the further I realized Jesus came to save me. But for the first seven years of my faith, All I got was milk. I was saved, but surviving on milk alone really hurt my ability to kill sin in my own life. It hurt my ability to progress. Because when we're we're only sustained by milk, our movement, it's like we're on an escalator in this walk of life and we're going the wrong way on it. Even though there's movement and we're trying, it takes all of our effort just to stay in one place, let alone to begin to backslide. The Corinthians are in that place. They're in an unstable place and they couldn't stay there. And here's the beauty of our God no believer will ever be left on that escalator. We know and we can have confidence that every person that begins on milk will be brought by God out of it. He will draw people in to a more mature relationship with Himself. And that's what he's doing through Paul to the Corinthians here. He's saying, look, where you're at is unstable. You can't stay there. Are they going to lose their salvation? No. But he's not going to leave them on a milk diet. And he was going to pull them out of it. I don't know if you guys have ever it just been on a milk diet. There's a, one individual, an anonymous individual in our church. Um, I'm not going to say her name because I don't want her to change her mind about marrying me. Um <laughs> And she gets stomach aches sometimes. And she'll, she'll be like, oh, I've just got such a bad stomach ache today. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's, well, what did you eat? What have you had to eat? And she's like, oh, well, I've had three creamy caramel lattes and a French fry. <laughs> and I'm like, Mmm, I wish I was a doctor. Maybe I could tell you why you're sick <laughs> and why your stomach hurts all the time. But I, I guess we'll never know, right? It's just <sighs> beats me. I feel great. I don't know what the problem is. The Holy Spirit gives us a hunger for more. And what we want this is what we want to do. This is what we're all about here at Four Points. So we want to serve food. We want to let the big dogs eat. If you're hungry, come in here. Get some food. We got all kinds of nourishment out on the table for you. But don't be mistaken. It's not Four Points that does the feeding. We we cut it up. We slice it. We serve it. But it's scripture that feeds this hunger and matures the believer. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a place for milk in the lives of a believer. Let's see what Paul says next. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Now, God's design in milk is a beautiful thing. The way that he enabled mothers to be able to provide for their child, it's beautiful. Uh, my sister, like I said earlier, just had a baby, uh, and he eats more than I do. Uh, I swear, it's crazy. And there's some fascinating stuff that goes on. When Nicole was uh, pregnant, we were just working through Genesis chapter 3 and Young Adults, um, and as I was studying Genesis chapter 3, uh, there's, there's a part of Genesis chapter 3 where God talks about the uh, multiplying the birth pains on women as a part of the result of the fall. And in my studying, I learned fascinating things about how God created uh, uh, us and how uh, God uh, created pregnancy and, and motherhood uh, to glorify and point to himself. There's fascinating things that occur in God's... Uh, creation of people and needing milk to sustain themselves one of the things I was studying is about how uh, some of the chemicals produced in breastfeeding can actually uh, hormonally make women forget some of the pain of childbirth it's fascinating Uh, God made babies to be dependent on their mother's milk which is beautiful but it also benefits the mother Uh, in Isaiah God even uses breastfeeding to illustrate his own love of his people He says his love is even greater than that of a woman feeding her child. Because everyone can see that a mother's love to feed her child is a beautiful thing, right? But it's not beautiful forever. Eventually, there's a point where it becomes weird. You can't make a claim on an age, but I'll say, 16, too old, right? That's disgusting. It's bizarre, uh, if, if a child could say, thank you, mother, I was famished. They're too old for that. <laughs> no, thank you. It's, it beco- but but it's, it takes something beautiful for a child and it becomes disturbing. It's funny, but it's true. That's why, that's why God's saying this. Right? There are some things that are okay for babies that are not okay for adults. There are things that are cute for babies that aren't okay for adults. Messing up your ABCs for a baby, adorable. For an adult, that's a DUI. Can't do it. You go by the toddler's room and there's kids talking to the paintings on the wall and you're like, oh, that's so precious. But if a volunteer's doing it, it's your last day. (laughs) Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Look, if there's anybody in this church that believes in the next generations, it's me. I get to spend so much time with our kids and our youth and I would put our students up against the adults of most other churches any day. I would, I'll tell you, I would put our trek room. They would bring the hammer down on a lot of other ministries in this area. Uh, people walk into the trek room all the time and they come uh, to our student ministry and they say, "This whoa. I've never seen kids like this. And that is exactly what I said my first day. I'll never forget uh, when Joe Burroughs was the youth pastor here. My first Sunday, I came from a megachurch that had more students uh, on a bad Sunday than Four Points had in eight Sundays combined. And I came in and I was like, I know everything I need to know about student ministry. I'm gonna be able to come in here. I'm gonna volunteer at Four Points. I'm gonna flip this thing around. And I remember coming in and I, and Joe said my first Sunday, he said, all right, guys, next week, we're starting our two-year walk through the book of Genesis chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and I was like, this is why there's 30 kids in this room. I was like, this guy, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You're gonna walk him through Genesis? All of, I can't even sit through all of Genesis. This is crazy. How prideful and vain was I to think that size, that that numbers correlated to spiritual maturity. Then I sat down in a small group. I remember it was the seventh grade boys. and the last church I just left, I just graduated a group of seniors, and these seventh grade boys talked about Jesus in a way that intimidated me. Why? It wasn't because of Joe. Right now, it's not because of me. It's not because of Aaron. It's not because of anybody on staff at the church. It's scripture. We don't dumb it down. But babies, no one ever says that about our baby's room, which is interesting, right? My nephew, I don't know, he's huge, he's a giant baby, but I'm not quite ready to throw him in the ring against other local churches' babies yet. Some of those babies are already baptized. Uh, I don't, it's advanced stuff. Soon, though, we'll get him there. Should I be concerned? Do I need to be talking to Leanne Knapp, who's over our baby room, because our babies don't know Tulip yet? No. Because they're babies, right? There's, now our kids—they don't worship a junior Holy Spirit. In that trek room, I pro, if you go back, we got kids leading worship back there today. If you go, it is moving. If you've never been back there, sign up, volunteers. It will feed you. I promise, you will be so encouraged. But babies are babies, and the, we can't expect that from them. They have no capability of understanding. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Milk is not a bad thing, and it is necessary for some. It would be wrong to feed babies hamburgers. They can't handle it. It doesn't make them mature. It makes their parents bad parents. And Paul is a good spiritual parent, he's saying, look, I know what you need, but it's, it's too long. It's too long to still be drinking milk. There is a place for milk as long as it doesn't make us afraid of diving deep and getting too deep in a scripture because scripture is infinitely deep. We know all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. Even the weird verses. You know that at four points. There's some weird verses in our scripture and they show you Jesus. It's beautiful, but not everybody is ready for those we don't hate milk, but the milk is, and it's always there, it's on the surface, but it's just a piece. We can't forget about it. Getting into the really deep stuff, Paul is saying, takes time. Nobody is born an adult. You know, there are verses that we use, that we associate. John three sixteen, milk or solid food? That's a milk verse, right? No, there is, it is a beautiful verse that has a lot of milk, but there. Look, you could say John three sixteen to a new believer and they will be amazed at the beauty of God loving them and sending his son to die on the cross for their sins. And you could say it to a professor of theology in a seminary and he will be all the more awed and inspired being able to understand the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. And why? You know, to, to say technically and in a deeper way why it's exactly, it's so beautiful in the nature of God and the outpouring of God's wrath, right? He can explain more, he can comprehend more. It's a good thing, but the verse is for both people. We can spend eight weeks in John three sixteen, and some of it would be a little much for a new believer. But that's okay. Because some of the principles we discussed today, not everyone in the room can understand, and that's okay too. If you're confused and we open to James one, you know, I don't get words. That's okay. We were there for a moment, that we came back. We're back in 1 Corinthians a few moments later. That's the beauty of what God does. We can, I can never write a sermon that can apply to the newest believers and the oldest believers in the room. I don't have that ability, but God sovereignly does in his word. He can speak to the hearts of the new, the children, the baby believers, the old and mature ancient believers. There's something for everybody and God has woven the simple, milk with the solid food beautifully finishing verse 2 and even now you are not ready for you are still of the flesh now this is some deep spiritual truth here all of us are fighting the flesh daily it's why our spiritual walk isn't a piece of cake the moment we become believers you know, we, from the outside, you look, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, look at this. So you're telling me I'm doing everything without God and then God dwells inside of me? Like Ben said during our confessional scripture, you're telling me that God gives me a new identity. He Tabernacles, he dwells inside of me. That, everything must be so easy. It is, isn't it? No. It's hard. We become Christians and things, things get harder with God. Why? There's a concept in Christianity, it's a simple one, that there's a difference between our position in Christ and our condition in Christ. They, they seem to contradict sometimes. Our position in Christ is that when God looks at us, he sees his own righteousness. If you put your faith in Jesus, in his perfect life, in his substitutionary death on the cross for your sins, so when God looks at you, he sees Christ. You are perfect positionally before God. But conditionally, not perfect at all. And look at your life. When you look at yourself, when you read God's word, do you see Christ? Not immediately. It's why we gotta preach the gospel to ourselves constantly because when we read scripture, when, when anyone in here read the 10 commandments and just go, yeah. I got it down. No. See, at first it's a mirror to us. We look at the Ten Commandments and we see, oh, I'm disgusting. This shows me a reflection of myself, but when we come to know Jesus, it becomes a window. And instead of being something that we just see our own reflection in, we actually look at the Ten Commandments, we see, no, no, no. What's beautiful is it's actually revealed who Christ is. It reveals exactly who you're not. That's good news. And that's the beauty of our uh, uh, position in Christ versus our condition in Christ. That Though we have our condition, though we have a new nature in Christ, God is still sanctifying us. It's a process. And we're put into a process where we pursue holiness over time. And that's tough. Positionally, we're complete, but conditionally, we have growing to do. Romans 7 talks about this. And I love Romans 8, but sometimes Romans 7 is even more encouraging for me. We must still battle our flesh. As Christians, we are brand new creations in Christ, but we still have flesh. I remember uh, someone explained this to me when I was in high school. It's not a great illustration. I don't even know why I'm saying it. I think because I have time. Um, but there's, some of you may have heard it. There's this Cherokee proverb uh, that, was, that was explained to me one time about a, uh, uh, an older Cherokee man and his grandson where he talks about, you know, my, son, my, my grandson, we, all of us inside of us have two wolves. Constantly funny. Y'all ever heard this? Yeah? Someone told you too. there's wearing one of those shirts with the wolves howling at the moon, right? Yes, same. Uh, they say, there's two wolves inside you constantly battling. One is evil and one is good, right? The evil wolf is greed. The good wolf is generosity. The evil wolf is pride. The other's humility, whatever. Not, it's wrong, all right? We just got bad wolves in us, okay? Uh, as non-believers, our hearts are dead. But, in the proverb, the kid asks his grandfather, he says, Well, grandfather, which wolf wins? And the grandfather says, The one that you feed. It's not a perfect illustration, but I do think it's redeemable. And I do think it's we we could see a little bit of a picture um, of, of what Paul's talking about. A, a non-believer has no capacity for godliness at all, just a sinful nature. They're dead in the flesh completely dead. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. Right? We know it doesn't submit to God's law. It can't submit to God's law. There's no capacity for godliness or victory over sin because those who are in the flesh cannot please God. A believer, though, is not in the flesh if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells within us. We know that if we have the Spirit, then we are alive. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead, because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That is the beautiful truth that we see here. And it's not milk. And new believers, this is a, it's a lot. But by God's grace, we, uh, my goal is to, to help us all see it. I'm going to take us to Romans 7 to help us get there. Though we are given Christ's divine nature, we still have flesh. And in Romans 7, Paul outlines all this for us. In verse 15, he says, and this is as a believer. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 18, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Satan uses the flesh to tempt us because we still got it. But he does not make us sin. I love Alistair Begg always says, sin is an inside job. And we could be influenced, but it comes from us. It comes from what's inside of us. And we don't have some secret, half-dualistic nature that's trying to fight for good. We are totally incapable of that. But in Christ, we do have a spiritual nature now that is given to us. And it doesn't matter what's fed. God will feed the spirit in your life and you will not be defeated. Romans 8 is clear that we will not just triumph over sin. It says that we will be more than conquerors. We talked about that at summer camp last year with our students. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? To be more than a conqueror means that not only are our enemies defeated, but they're actually turned to our side. When we, in Christ, they work for our own good. We come out of our struggles with sin stronger than we were before. You don't find this anywhere on earth outside of Christianity. This premise that it's not about you earning it yourself, it's about, no, God is so good that he works even in the negative, even in the evil parts of you. What, What we mean for evil, God means for good. And he will bring himself glory. On the cross, when he paid for all of our sin, and made us right with himself through faith in him. So we know victory is guaranteed, but holy cow, we are gonna get our tails handed to us on the way to that final victory. Everyone in the room has experienced that. That's what Romans 7 is all about. So if, you, if you're looking at yourself and you're like, I don't understand. If I, put, if I put a button in front of you that said kill sin, you would press it every time, you're faced with temptation. If it would just get rid of it, all of us would press it. What's the difference in just choosing not to sin? It's hard. I'm with you, man. It's sad. (laughs) But find peace in this. Paul struggled with the same thing. You feel like I'm speaking just to you. I felt like God was speaking just to me when I was studying this. Because we all experience it. We're going to lose a lot of our encounters with sin in the great war. But Why do these failed battles not cause us to give up? Because our condition cannot change our position. What we do, what our flesh, the fight against our flesh here on earth does not affect the fact that God sees you perfectly in Christ. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? I mean, look at the church in Corinth. We haven't even gotten it. It is going to be crazy. You got false prophets. You got incest. You got dividing over who's a better preacher. No church discipline. People getting drunk on communion wine. Suing each other. Celibacy in marriage. Prostitution outside of marriage. Idolatry. Whack prayers and prophecies and tongues and straight heresies. All throughout. I mean, that's coming out from a church of who Paul calls Brothers. Four points doesn't look so bad now, does it? That's just a few of the things. It's a nightmare in Corinth. Practically, this whole epistle is just a correction of behavior. But what's one beautiful encouragement we can pull from this verse? It's this. While there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? We see here that to digest solid food, one of the things we don't need is intelligence. That's an easy Easy misunderstanding of scripture. That spiritual maturity is the same thing as uh, physical intelligence, right? That, oh, well, I can comprehend all these big words and I can, understand, I can open a book, I can read systematic theology. It's no big deal. It's fine to me because I'm smart. But if, it's, if there's no connection between your head and your heart, you're dead. The Pharisees knew more about the scripture than any of the disciples did. I mean, they, could, they could quote all over the place, but Jesus came to the heart first. We've been talking about with our students that until God works in the heart, we are totally incapable of understanding. We studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 last week, right? The beauty of the gospel is folly to the non-believer. It doesn't matter how smart they are. We don't need intelligence to digest solid food. What keeps them on a milk diet is jealousy and strife. Because milk isn't just simpler, it's prescriptive. What is this? What is the milk? Milk are the things specifically needed to get pride out of the way for the people. It's a simple gospel. We all need it. But some can't move past it into deeper things until they really marinate in it. They, they, it's got to do a whole lot more work. Every person in this room came to the foot of the cross this morning. In our time of confession, we all, Prayed together and confessed that we have done a bad job this week pursuing Christ. But some of us came more humbly than others did. There are difficult, solid food things. Predestination. It's a big one. That's solid food, not milk. Why? It's not because it's hard to understand. It's because it takes humility to digest it. John Piper said humility is the organ which with solid food is digested. For one says, I follow Paul. This is all set out of pride and jealousy and strife. One says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Look, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this, even though I want to, because Brent hit this nail on the head uh, back, I think, in the second week of our study in 1 Corinthians, uh, in, in chapter 1. If you weren't here for that, listen to it. It's verse 10 through 17. Um, it was the second or third week. Well, the church is divided here over who they follow. Some are like, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I follow uh, Apollos. And some are like, well, I follow Christ. Better than everyone else. But Paul comes, he's saying, no, you're dividing yourselves. It's a big problem, and we love to do this too. Well, you Look at the church in Corinth. We're like, oh, 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 those fools. We would never be like that here today. But we are, me included. We've all got our favorite preachers. Somebody in the room today, you've been inviting a coworker, a friend to come to Four Points for years, and finally today they come, and I get on stage and set a print, and you're like, oh, ah. Everyone has experienced that. It's, it's difficult. But God is sovereign. I get it. I really do. Look, I'm prettier than Brent, but he's been teaching, he's been teaching the Bible for 25 years. I've been doing this for three. He has got a, a wisdom and an authority, in not just in his status as an elder, in his position that God has put him in, but also just an experience in experience and life and wisdom that I don't have. I would rather hear him preach than me too. Or the other men, our elders, who come and preach up here. we got Nick and Jeremy on staff. I was just talking to Nick about this yesterday. I, I make jokes. I, it's just part of who I am. I don't do it on stage. I do it everywhere. God gave me a sense of humor, and praise Jesus, it goes over well here at Four Points Ackworth. Praise God. Because Brent's funny too. Obviously, everyone here appreciates humor. And that is a good thing, but it's not the most important thing. Some people like my sense of humor. Some don't. I see everyone's faces when I make jokes. Some people are like, <laughs> the whole time. But it doesn't matter how you feel about it. I ha- Look, I have to leverage it for God's glory. I have to. I can't help. I can't do anything. I've had other jobs. I've, done, I've, tried to use, I've tried to use the gifts God's given me for other things. I can't do it. If I could have another job, I would. But there's not enough people preaching and serving food out of Scripture in the world today for me to not do that. And we all feel this call. Every man that steps on the stage to teach you, it's not fun. Believe it or not, it's It's terrifying. I barely slept last night because it's, it's a weighty task to get up here. I mean, God, God himself in his word gives us reason to be terrified to exposit scripture to his people. It's a weighty call. And praise God if he can use my humor to help you stick with me, but laughter can't be your gauge. Engagement can't be your gauge. Maybe we have preachers here that don't engage you as long as Brent does. But Paul bored a guy to death you going to tear out half the New Testament? We laugh, but we've all heard it. I have. I've been frustrated before. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Not who, what? What are our teachers here at four points? What are our elders here? What is Brent Stevens or Nick Steineken or Jeremy Brannon? Right? What is Scott Mackin or Ben Cooper or Daniel Purnell? What, what are they, these men that God has tasked with teaching and leading us? What is anyone who has ever taken this stage? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each were instruments. Tools. Nobody's going to go outside when they finish the 92 construction in eight years and pat the excavator on the back and say, good job. Because it's a tool. That's all it is. That's all we are. You want to encourage Nick Steinikin? Call him a tool. <laughs> i thankful for you, Nick. But it's true. It's all I am. If you guys could see if you guys could follow me around for a week, no one would listen to a word I said from the stage. Because I have fallen short. I planted, Apollos watered. Look, one man may be better at preaching truth, one may be better at counseling, hurt people, one may manage this organization better. Who can say that one is better than the other? in the end, look what he says, God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. We have got prophets, we've got priests, we've got kings. They're all just instruments. We hate the prosperity gospel here. We hate the talk. We, we, we're we really good at four points about preaching to ourselves not to elevate the gift above the giver. But do we, in the same way, preach to ourselves not to elevate the gifted? Are we willing to hear because of God's word, not because of the sense of humor of whoever's on stage? Are we less receptive to words from one of our church leaders than from others? Why? Because we're... Babies who can't digest the meat if it's not cut up just the way they want it to be. Right? Anyone here tried to feed a picky baby? It's exhausting. Did you ever go, you know, you got a point, baby? You heard this. No, it's stupid. No one can be convinced by a kid to not make them finish their plate. I like the way the Brent cuts up the steak more. We all do. Everyone here likes the way Brent preaches the best. It's why we're here. Brent preaches to you once a week. That is one hour out of 170. Our pastors can't spoon feed you to spiritual maturity. They can't spoon feed me to spiritual maturity. It's just not gonna happen. And we have got, when we read this, we can't just go, oh, those immature, cra-. we've got to look at ourselves. We've got to be honest with ourselves. It's cute for a kid, but it's pathetic for a grown adult to need another adult to cut up their food for them. Praise God, four points is a feast. We are a barbecue of Bible food. Amen? I mean, in 1 Corinthians, here we've got every, we've got it all, and we're going to walk through it together. Praise Jesus. We're going to serve it up on a platter. We're going to do our best to make it easy to digest. That's our job to take what God has said and to to uh, apply it to help you to understand it. Because we have time. You guys are out working all week. We get that. We get the privilege of studying for you to help you. We can put hours and hours and hours and hours into this text that you don't have time to do. Praise Jesus. That's why we do this here. But if all you're eating is Sunday mornings, is it the only time you get solid food? If it is, how are you ever going to be more than an infant? milk won't spiritually grow you forever and God will not let you stay on a milk diet. You've got to take this stuff home with you. You've got to talk to your family about it. You've got to talk to your friends about it. You've got to take it to your small group. Are you in a small group? Join one. There's a reason we have them. What are you eating out there? We can't be living like Corinth. Sustaining ourselves off of solid food for an hour once a week. Wasting away spiritually with stunted growth because we only ever get milk. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. God is good to bless and reward his people for the work that we put in. Praise Jesus. Uh, this, what this doesn't mean is not to show appreciation to the pastors of the church. They work hard. They work hard and, 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 and give so much more time than you realize to, to guiding God's people. So, yes, be thankful for them. Yes, they, the Bible tells us they are worthy of honor for it, but it's not the point. It's not about the glory. He who plants and he who waters are one. They're both necessary, and God's good to include us on any of it. For we are God's fellow workers. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That it goes, see, and this is the simple faith. Yeah, Jesus died for your sins. He lived a perfect life that I couldn't and then he paid the price for all the sin that I commit every day in my life. All the sin that I have committed, all the sin I'm committing today, the, pri- the sin I'm committing on stage right now. That Even in, even in preaching, there's still some pride. There's so, like how good is God to even allow us not to strike us dead when we step up onto a platform before other people? The sin in my future, all of it is paid for. Praise Jesus, but it goes even further than that. He, he rose again. He conquered sin and death. He conquered hell and the grave. He took it God's wrath upon himself for us. And then he says, and I'm gonna let you help me. And I'm gonna use you. You people who are the reason for the cross. He says, you, now you get to come alongside me and you get to be a part. How many of you know, how many of you with kids know the beauty of when you serve alongside your child? It's an amazing thing. Even when it goes poorly. Have you ever been on a service project that was just a disaster? Well, what beautiful moments those are when we get to spend time together and we can just say, it's just amazing that we get to help. It's miserable work. It's hard. We're sweaty and tired and exhausted and just preaching the gospel and sharing to the community is not easy. What a beautiful thing for us to get to share with each other and the work that God doesn't need us for, but he uses us And he calls us fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. It's all God's. This building we're sitting in right now, it doesn't belong to four points. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. And this work that we do alongside him is for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good that you would accomplish all things and then continue beyond that to give us even more incredible, indescribable generosity than you already have in the cross, like then to bring us alongside you and allow us to work and and to bring fruit from our work? Thank you, God. May everyone in the room today go out into this world this week and not be just reliant on milk. May may you bring us all the way that you have brought the church in Corinth out of their infantile spiritual nature. Will you yank everyone here out of that nature? God, will you begin to grow us, give us stomachs to digest the, the solid food And not that we'll get puffed up, but that we may know you better, that we may see even more how far you came to save us and to bring us along with you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, amen.